Hello and welcome to the Edify Podcast. This is designed for you, preacher, teacher, shepherd, deacon of the kingdom of God, for your edification, for your uplifting, for your ministry. Have you ever heard of Blue Mondays? <laughs> you probably have. Even if you're not a preacher, uh, you've heard about them, you know, and I'm quite sure that you can figure out exactly what that means. And I imagine that you can see why dealing with Blue Mondays um, qualifies really as a test of the preacher, elder, and deacon's heart. If, as you serve God's kingdom, you will be met with Blue Mondays. Before we get into the study too much, let me give you a resource for you. Um, the Jenkins Institute has two books, I believe, Don't Quit on a Monday and Don't Quit on a Tuesday. And they've done really good. Um, Dale Jenkins gave me both books, and I've loved them and cherished them and uh, bought and gifted them to others. And uh, so that I would I would dare say go get those. Uh, I would want you to go get those and put those in your library for those Blue Mondays that come along. Now, <clears throat> let's address this. While many occupations have a, a version of Blue Mondays, because they all do, preachers are especially vulnerable. Some Mondays, you know, you and I, we wake up, we rejoice, uh, we rejoice over, you know, uh, God's work in your sermon, God's work in the church, His goodness, all the goodness that we experienced on the previous day. But some Mondays, not so much. In some, in some ways, Blue Mondays should not come as a big surprise. Because what happens is that you experience a great deal of spiritual emotional, and physical energy, you know, that's exhausted on a Sunday. So we can come into Monday on the back end of an adrenaline rush. And so that's perfectly positioned for a letdown. Dr. Archibald Hart, in his book, Adrenaline and Stress, he tells the readers to anticipate a need for what he calls recovery time after high levels of ministry exertion. So Blue Mondays can be times when, when a depleted soul is catching its breath, and that's what that feels like. Uh, we may think, well, this is a depressive thought, or I'm just burned out, but really we're just exhausted. But fatigue is not the only reason our hearts can be overcast or downcast or gray or blue, we might say, on that Monday. Sometimes depletion is compounded with disappointment. Sometimes your sermon doesn't go as well. Sometimes as you shepherd God's people, it, it does not go the way that you would like for it to. Um, I know as a preacher, sometimes you can uh, get through preaching and, and you can get a critical comment that really just puts you right on your face. Um, one preacher, I recall, I think he was preaching Isaiah 53, and amen was said, and he's out in the back shaking the brethren out, and one fellow walks up and he says, you missed it. <laughs> And what he did was he went on to point out a key Hebrew word in the text that that the preacher had failed to emphasize. And so I remember the preacher, he said his, his word felt like a slap. And sure, you know, it was only a verbal slap and nothing like the punishment that Jesus felt and endured. But still, you and I can go home feeling the sting of people's words. Uh, less dramatic, but also deflating some Sundays where... Uh, your sermon isn't met with a critique, but only with silence. Uh, amen is said. You're out back. You're greeting people. You're, you're, you're leaving people out the door, as it were. And there's not been one conversation about anything that you just preached. I mean, but you'll get questions like, where do we sign up for the youth retreat? Or did you know there's no paper towels in the men's restroom or whatever? Um, everybody faces different things like that, the silence of your sermon. 
Charles Spurgeon, uh, in the theological world, he's called the Prince of Preachers, and he was uh, very well known, uh, very well liked by a lot of religious circles. And uh, but he still knew uh, about the Blue Mondays and in his lectures. Uh, and if you don't have these, it's probably good that you you pick these up. Um, in his book called Lectures to My Students, he talks very candidly to younger preachers about what he calls as the minister's fainting fits. And so what he does is he lists about a dozen reasons uh, for the low times, which include, you know, physical maladies or mental exhaustion or uh, sedentary habits or unbroken labor, personal tax, all those things. And he warns he warns the preacher for the occasional fainting fits and that that is just an occupational hazard for the preacher. He says, quote, after pouring out our souls over our congregations, we feel like empty earthen pitchers which a child might break. That's pretty fragile, very delicate. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he, he kind of echoed, you know, Spurgeon's sentiments in his lectures that he gave to his students. In 1936, he said not he not only taught them how to preach a sermon, uh, but he also instructed them to prepare for the moments immediately after the sermon, which is very wise. Um, he knew that that after preaching a sermon, uh, that as he as this is his quote, he says the pastor himself is in need of pastoral care. Uh, biblically speaking, the preacher is in need of pastoral care. Uh, I'm thankful to be one of. Uh, of a preaching staff here at Piedmont Road and, and to have people like David Decker and Derek Brown and Les uh, and all these different guys that, that we have here um, who are able to preach and teach God's Word and do it effectively. Um, and so I'm thankful to be here uh, and to be preached at. Sometimes I need to be preached at. You know, preachers love uh, conferences and they love uh, they love gospel meetings because they get to go and that's where they get to be fed, as it were, by somebody else. And so, uh, but Bonhoeffer goes on to say that he spoke of an inter, the word he used was a disquieted, um, that sometimes we wonder whether um, God had a minute in our sermons. Sometimes our sermons are not as um, godly as we, we need them to be. We don't have as much God or scripture in there, and it, and it may be more about application. But but anyway, whatever, whatever it is... Um, you can become anxious uh, about the opinions that other people may have about your sermons or about you or whatever, and that can also cause um, a Blue Monday. Now, I, I, I'm not sure if I've ever used the word disquieted, <laughs> uh, but I have probably experienced what Bonhoeffer is describing. Sometimes after Sunday service, you can feel an inner emptiness uh, or restlessness, and even though you tried to preach with earnestness, with energy, um, you, you had no sense that it was working at all. Um, you know, you might leave the parking lot, your soul's troubled, you're uneasy. Uh, you feel like that, that none of that just connected with the hearers. And so what you and I would do well to do is to remind ourselves that our identity is found in our union with Christ rather than our performance as a preacher or as an elder or as a deacon. Um, but the inner ache that lingers um, from a disquieting Sunday turns into a blue Monday. Uh, singing the blues on the occasional Monday is something that every preacher experiences. But you know, every, everybody has a bad day, you know, once in a while, and things get darker. However, when blue Mondays don't occur only once in a blue moon. And the problem goes deeper still uh, when the Blue Mondays don't stay confined to Monday. 
when they stop being occasional, occasional and they become ongoing. Um, when, when every day has just a faint tint of blue to it, uh, and the disquieted moves to discouragement and to disillusion, disillusionment. And let's talk about that for a minute. There was one preacher who, who absolutely lived through the blue season, and that was John the Immerser. Uh, he was locked up by Herod Antipas um, for fearlessly proclaiming God's truth, especially about his, his marital situation. And he was in prison. And he began to lose hope. And, and, and just recall that scenario. His preaching ministry had been shut down. Herod continued to rule like a tyrant. Rome continued to crush Israel under its imperial boot. And worse yet, Jesus didn't seem in a hurry to intervene or to rectify that situation. And in fact, Jesus wasn't living up to the expectations of John and many other people um, for their ideas of what the Messiah should be. And so in his perplexity, in his Blue Monday, John sent several of his followers to ask Jesus a very stark question. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Matthew 11, verse 3. So John's question reveals how badly his faith in Jesus had been shaken. Now this is surprising in light of all that we know about John. John was... He, uh, verses 5 through 7 of chapter 11, it says that he was a reed shaken by the wind. He, he was no reed shaken by the wind. So this was a, um, a a strong individual that he would not bow to religious or political pressure. You know, rarely do we meet somebody in Scripture who seems as unshakable as John the Immerser. So beyond his rugged, leatherly, you know, persona, John, um, John also had very supernatural reasons, if you will, for a very sturdy faith in Jesus as the Messiah that God would bring. I mean, his parents told him, you know that they told him about the birth, the miraculous birth of Jesus. And and John himself had personally witnessed heaven's endorsement when Jesus was baptized at the Jordan, Matthew chapter 3. I mean, at one time, John had been so sure of Jesus' identity that he heralded him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John one twenty nine. But now John finds himself imprisoned by doubts, discouragement, and desperation. Now that's a blue Monday. That's a blue Monday. And so not, not only is he just tired, but, but he's beginning to question everything that he knows. And so what I do, what I find amazing is Jesus' response to John's faltering faith. Uh, and that's in- incredibly consoling. How Jesus dealt with John, good, good, faithful John. He sends John a message, but he's not the message that he may have expected. Jesus doesn't say, go and tell John that I'm de- deeply uh, disappointed in him. Uh, or go tell John to, to get a grip on his faith or, or wake up. And, and, and you must not have been faithful at all because if you're doubting Jesus and all the other things that you're, that the brotherhood says to people who struggle uh, with mental illness or depression or Blue Mondays that are that continue, all of those things. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus, rather than castigate John for his questions, Jesus reinforces, Jesus comforts, Jesus consoles his faith. And he reminds John that he was currently doing the messianic works predicted by Isaiah. Go and tell John what you hear and see, that the blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one 
who is not offended by me. That's verses 4 through 6 of Matthew 11. Jesus doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just give John the message that he needs. He doesn't um, butcher the man because his faith is weak. But then he goes on to give a very strong public commendation of John and his ministry. Uh, chapter 11, verse 11, he says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Now John was in a jail cell, disillusioned, discouraged, everything, blue Monday to the max. And even though John was disillusioned with Jesus, Jesus was not disillusioned with John. That's grace. That's grace. I love our Lord. I love Him. And I love Him especially because of Blue Mondays. Things that you and I have to deal with from time to time. So what do we do when our Mondays turn blue? First of all, don't be overly surprised by Blue Mondays. They are a very regular test of a preacher's heart. Spurgeon wisely reminded his young preachers, and still a reminder today, the lesson of wisdom is, be not dismayed by soul trouble. Count it no strange thing, but a part of the ordinary ministerial experience. Now, if Spurgeon and other uh, preachers of old, or even today, uh, found dark days, part of the ordinary ministerial experience, as Spurgeon called it, we should not expect immunity. Rather, we should see ourselves in good company. If John the Baptist had a blue Monday, I'm going to have a blue Monday. The second thing is to realize God uses those Blue Mondays for good in the lives of His preachers, His elders, and His deacons. They keep us humble. They remind us that, to borrow a line from Rick Mullins, we are not as strong as we think we are. Charles Spurgeon came to see his fainting fits, as he called them, not as a punishment, but as a protection. I think that's very wise. He said, my witness is that those who are honored of their um, of their Lord in public have usually to endure a secret chastening or to carry a peculiar cross, lest by any means they exalt themselves and fall into the snare of the devil. If people could pull back the curtain of your life and see the things that you're having to endure as a preacher, as an elder, as a deacon, as a minister of God's people, um, would they be shocked? Probably. Uh, is there a pedestal that you and I are on? Yeah. Uh, the stricter judgment is probably, as Garland Elkin said, not so much from our Lord, but our brethren. But uh, we have them. We have our Blue Mondays. Um, and so, number one, don't be overly surprised. Number two, God can use it for your good. And number three, um, we should follow the lead of John the Baptist and, and bring our doubts and disappointments to Jesus like John we will find he in, in, in him, in Jesus, a compassionate Savior who speaks grace and truth into our souls, and not just on Monday, but every single day of the week.